Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce Curdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Good, Bruce. I had a good day. I, uh, you know, it's so cold, but I got managed to get out and do my regular exercise routine on this. I go up and down the stairs, so well, I'm feeling good about that, even though I didn't let the cold beat me today. And uh, that's always a good day when you're uh, Edmontonite, as Don King Ed- once called Edmund- us. Edmonite. 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 <laughs> oh. yeah, I've, been working, I've been working out indoors this last little while, since the big ice storm in uh, early December, when it was too slippery to be safe out there. And then the temperature just dived. And by that time, I paid for uh, uh, a month at the uh, uh, service place here in St. Albert. So I've just mostly been rocking the... Uh, walking the track there. Yeah, I and bet I'm, you you're rocking it, man. I'm I, feeling I'm like I'm feeling like it. the Houston Astros of April 1965. You know, playing their first homestand in the Astrodome. You know, after playing baseball outdoors their entire life up until that point, that must have been so strange for those guys. So, kind of feels like that. Well, you're on a pretty good streak here of ex- of walking, going out for your exercise and walk. Eh? What what are you at? Uh, since November of 2019, so two full years plus a couple months, I guess. So November, <laughs> excuse me, of 2019. Wow, is that yeah. pre-COVID? That's pre-COVID. Pre-COVID, yeah. Since Just, COVID, I haven't. It's been a, a minimum of one hour every day. Yeah. You had a essentially get out of miss. If you started in November 2019, you had a premonition of COVID, and uh, you got out there. So. Yeah, I was already getting out there, and then COVID hit, and I just decided to stretch, like, lengthen my goal, because that's my only time out in the real world, or it was for, you know, long chunks of time. Yeah, it has been a strange time, a strange it has been time. a strange time, yes. <sighs> let's not get into it. All right, let's, now we can talk about something equally, if not more, <laughs> not equally. We can, all, we can also talk, another thing that's depressing um, the Edmonton Oilers' recent play, they lost tonight 4-1 to to the New York Rangers. They were, the grade-A shots were fairly close, 13-12, to but when it came to the five-alarm chances, um, they weren't close. The Rangers had a lot more. Bruce, I'll start it off. We'll do our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers, and because we're crabby and impatient, we're just going to go with one each for both of those things because we just, you know, it's just too painful to think about the Oilers and talk about them too much. Um, I'll start it off. I mean, the knives are out in Edmonton for Miko Koskinen tonight. And we, and from the coach to Terry Jones of the Sun, um, every fan probably who watches, to, to me, like, and this does have the feeling of enough. You can't win with this kind of goaltending. It is just backbreaking to have that happen to you early in games too often. A soft, terrible goal against. <laughs> and that's what it was. Dave Tippett called it a, a brutal mistake. You know, he says, don't soft pedal. It was a brutal mistake. Yep. And um, just a terrible read by Koskinen. You know, he, he just he just needed to realize, I might not get there. So I'm going to back up, but mobility, mm-hmm. m- mobility and decision-making outside the net are not Koskinen's strengths. He does have some, you know, shot blocking. The initial shot, I think, is probably the strength. 
um, as long as it's not too far outside. Um, but shot block, he's he's a decent shot blocker, but there's other aspects of his game. Puck handling, rebound control, you know, rebounds, wraparounds that are kind of not there at an NHL level consistently enough for him to to get a new contract probably in the NHL next year. I think it's fair to say. So he just, he, he, he tried to, you know, he started off the game by shooting the puck. He, he panicked and he shot the puck over the board. So there's a penalty 15 seconds, I think, into the game. And it's like, oh no. And the owners managed to kill it off. There's some good plays and they managed to kill it off. But five and a half. A couple minutes, stops in there too. He, he did actually, there was a tip. There was a really dangerous tip shot and he, he stopped it, you know, like his, he's big in the net and he stops lots of stuff. Uh, but then he tries to make the play where he goes out and plays the puck and it's going through what's it called the the tripod what what is that called behind the net where the goalies aren't allowed to play at the um, oh the trapezoid the trapezoid yeah. yeah they're allowed to play it in the trapezoid they can't play it outside the trapezoid and my read is he never the puck never got inside the trapezoid he went out there to field it and it was just traveling too slow yeah and Ryan Strom on a very good hustle play beat uh the puck to the you know to that line was able to basically check it off a of Koskinen's stick before Koskinen was able to play it, and then quickly turned and whipped a pass through Zach Hyman onto the tape of uh, oh yeah uh, Alexis Lafreniere, who accepted the gift and powered it home from the slot with no goalie to beat. You know, it's tempting to think like, why doesn't Hyman read that? But you know. Hockey happens yeah. fast and you're in the train tracks, right? You can't, mm-hmm. when your skates, when you're going at a certain speed and your skates are going straight, you yeah. can't suddenly just turn like as good as these players are. I mean, the quickest guy turning on a dime is McDavid, right? And that's why he's Connor McDavid. But, you know, there's just, you know, Zach Hyman, why doesn't he just read this and cover the front? But well, it's because it's happening really fast. Tried, he thinks confidence. Bouchard yeah. and Bouchard and nurse are kind of, spreading yeah. out, waiting for Costco <clears throat> to play them. Everyone's reading it. They're reading the goalie. They're expecting him to make the play. They're thinking, there's no chance in the world he's heading out there if he does, if he's not for sure that he's getting the puck. Everyone else is thinking that because these are professional hockey players. They expect a certain level of competence from their teammates. And it just didn't happen. Costco didn't really mis- misread the play. And, and Bruce, it was just... It did seem like the end of the Miko Koskinen era. It just probably... Every fan in Edmonton has got to be asking themselves right now, why the hell isn't Stuart Skinner in Edmonton and why is Miko Koskinen here? I never bought, like, I never got the explanation, honestly. Like, mm-hmm. people were trying to offer explanations, like, why this makes sense. It didn't make sense to me. Skinner has been the better goalie. Mm-hmm. Your job in the NHL is to win. Mm-hmm. Why was he sent down? I mean, I didn't, I don't try to, I don't want to over, like, you know, I'm not, wasn't trying to overreact when that happened, but I just thought, like, because Mike Smith was ready to play, man. It's all good now. Has that ever blown up in their face? Like, I thought they would be okay. I thought, I thought, I thought Mike's okay. between Smith and Koskinen, and I thought, you know, there's a better chance this year than last year that they'll get through this season because Smith had just played so well. But this is just a, it's a shit show. They've got to yep. do something. They've got to call up Skinner and make a trade, probably. They've got to trade their first pick this year, pronto, to bring in a goalie. Because you can't count on Skinner either. He is a rookie. You can't count on Smith, and you can't count on Koskinen. You need to trade for a goalie, I think. And I don't know 
what's out there, um, what they're looking for. But this is this is killing the team right now. And it was written all over Tippett's face. He he didn't he didn't say he just was talking about the one play tonight. But you don't talk about the one play in that manner unless your goalie goaltending play is killing you. And that's what's happening right as much as anything, Bruce. Mm-hmm. That's what's happening with this Oilers team right now. They're getting out goalied night after night after night after. They were night. tonight. They when were was the last time they weren't? I mean, maybe there's a recent. I can't think of any. No. But when was the last time they weren't? Recent example? <laughs> You've got the good memory for this, these kinds of things. Yeah, when they beat you. Pittsburgh on December 1st. <laughs> there you go. You know, that, was only, that, was, that was Dave Tippett's last win behind the bench. He's now enduring a personal nine-game losing streak. So the heat's up on Tippett as well. There's no way around that. And I mean, talk about Koskinen being on the griddle. Well, yeah. He's not the only one. So yeah, Koski, I mean he's his his first handle, he dumped it over the glass for a penalty, like you say, fifteen seconds into the game. McDavid breaks his stick off a face off and New York shoots it in and Koskin and dumps it over the glass. Mm-hmm. His second attempted handle, he never handled it because the puck didn't reach him. You know, I have a I have a tiny bit of sympathy as being in the old goalies club. And I'll I'll say this. This is this is where you're on the road and you're going from one building to the next. And on the last game they played, the Koskinen played in New York Islanders, the friggin' boards were lightning fast. Everything coming off the boards was like it came shot up a trampoline. It was springing out in front and coming around the boards. And this dump in, you know, he went out there and he was ready for it to come and it just sort of trickled to him. And it just, just didn't have enough oomph on it. And I mean, that's one of the challenges of playing in different buildings. And and he got burned. And he, you know, he he, you know, it's his fault. Uh, don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying that I have a tiny bit of sympathy for. This is, you know, part of the part of the issue. You know, when's the last time sure. you played a game in the Madison Square Garden? Like two years ago, three years sure. ago. Sure. You know, and, anyway, and, yeah. stuff happens, and it happened there. And then the third time he handled the puck, this was the best because all he did that time was give it to the Rangers. But that was the best of his three handles to that point. I'm saying to my wife, "Well, that worked out better than the other two. <laughs> <laughs> Went straight to a Ranger, but at least it didn't wind up in the net or Oiler in the penalty box. So things are looking up." <laughs> I can see you having some sympathy, like. Oh. I'm at a beer league defenseman. So when the puck went on off Barry's skate tonight, oh. that happened to me last night in the, in the game we played. Oh, like yeah. I'm, I'm covering the guy in the, I'm, tr- I'm doing everything right. I'm taking yeah. out his stick, taking his body and bam off my skate into the net. Like, so that does happen. And I don't actually don't think people are really blaming Tyson Barry a whole heck of a I'm lot. I'm not going to dock Barry for that. I'll dock him no. for the turnover for the, for the breakaway. Oh, yeah. I, won't, I won't dock him for that. There's so. some other stuff, but Koskin, and that was different. Because it's a it's a it's a massive mental mistake. Yeah, you gotta be goal. sure. You gotta be sure, or you gotta be Mike Smith, where you know that you're <sighs> you're quick and adept enough that even if you're not sure, you're gonna still make you're gonna still win that puck battle. You know, Mike Smith probably would have found a way. He would have cheated, or he would have like gone in there early, or he would have got his he would have blocked the pass or something. He would have taken it. He would have thrown a body check. He would have done something, <laughs> and that wouldn't have got in there. But he, Koskinen doesn't have that bag of smitty tricks so all right what's your what's your uh bad thing wait, did i give my bad we went bad thing first it just uh, it did when seem I lose, to be, bad thing first seems like yeah maybe that'll be our, yeah, yeah okay what's your 
But she, she, it does feel hurt sometimes when we go good thing when they lost a terrible yeah. game. What's your bad thing? My bad thing is Oilers' defensive coverage and the number of jailbreaks they were giving up tonight. It was just horrendous. There was a, a span in the second period there. I mean, first of all, they gave up the 2 nothing goal on, I believe it was a four-on-two rush where a puck bounced off of Warren Fogle's skate and it went past Duncan Keith out into the neutral zone and then all of a sudden there's only Cody Cece really back in position to do anything and he can't cut out the pass and bang, it's in the net. Uh, so, and now all of a sudden it's 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 after that though that the Oilers start to panic. There's a situation where Cuckoo takes a penalty at 6.26 and Kako takes one for New York at 6.57. So it's four on four at the basically seven minute mark for the second. On the four-on-four four situation, uh, the Rangers had two breakaways, essentially. I mean, maybe they were two-on-ones, but it wound up with a guy alone against Koskinen. One of them rang off the post. The other one, I'm not sure if it hit the post or Koskinen got a little piece of it or or what. It nearly went in, didn't. Uh, then there was a, th- a three-on-one, basically from Edmonton's or from New York's blue line all the way in and the Rangers overpassed it and wound up not getting the shot, but it wasn't because they didn't have a jailbreak because they did. And then Tyson Berry turned over the puck and they had what amounted to another breakaway uh, just from Edmonton's blue line in this time. And this was like three minutes of hockey, David, and the Rangers had four odd man rushes where they, you know, they clearly had Edmonton outnumbered. And you could say two on ones, three on ones. What the goal was a four on two, you know, like it was just uh, wide open spaces. And when you compare Edmonton's, uh, Edmonton's defensive play to that exhibited by the Rangers for most of this game, it was night and day. You know, they looked like yeah. teams from three different leagues out there. There's, I'm going to highlight two mistakes uh, in the in these in these sequences of pain, um, and I think I got this first one right. It's at uh, twelve nineteen, Mark, and it's four on four. And Pulley, the Rangers have full possession of the puck, and Pulley Arvey decides to change. And I'll tell you what, Bruce, that's what caused the problem. As much mm-hmm. as anything, I don't know if Barry had just shifted on or not, but he, Barry was the one who got beat by the guy streaking up the middle of the ice. But Pulley Arvey would have been there. Like he would have been, you know, Drysaddle shifted on. He did the right thing. He's moving to the play. He's he's put, he's trying to angle the player to the boards. He does. He's not there in time. McDavid had shifted off already. And Drysaddle mm-hmm. came on. Then Pulleyarvi. They have full possession of the puck, mm-hmm. and Pulleyarvi decides he's gone. And suddenly, the, he would have been covering that winger or covering the middle of the ice. It's wide open for a stretch pass, and bam, they make it. Like it's just a kind of mental error. It's as bad as Koskinen's. It's a, that that is the kind of thing that kills your team. You cannot have that mental yeah. mistake. The other one, Barry. I was during the four-on-four, four, by the way. That so was. a bad line change turns it into a four-on-three, which is, you know, it's it's that much more of a dangerous time to be. It's like a bad line change in overtime is particularly dangerous because, you know, you're talking yeah. about a, a third of the players on the ice rather than a fifth of them making the bad change, or in this case, a quarter. And uh, they wound up having no one to cover. Barry's turnover was bad too. I mean, he's 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 in full he he's made a nice move. He's in full possession of the puck, and he just waits too long and he gives it away. Now that's a mental mistake by Tyson Barry, who's really good with the puck, doesn't do that very often, um, and has been playing better defensively. But he had he had a little five minute period here 
where he was responsible essentially for three wide open kind of breakaway ish chance breakaway chances and and uh his turnover there was was really i mean he he will totally be kicking himself for that because that was a real like the, the one one in off his skate he, he he feels bad and embarrassed but like he's thinking what could i do but the the turnover that leads to two five alarm chances that's totally on him and um not good your good thing, Bruce. Why don't, oh, uh, my good thing is next, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, Tyler Benson part probably played his best game as an oiler. The coach gave him some faint, <laughs> faint wow, praise. Coach gave him some faint praise, like, uh, yeah, he got his first point. Uh, hopefully that's a sign of better things to come. Um, <laughs> Dave Tippett, who's that actor in Men in Black who plays opposite Will Smith? Um that old Lee dude, Lee Tommy Lee Jones, Dave Tippett, and I just reminded me, reminded me so much of a cranky Tommy Lee Jones there. Um, anyway, Tyson Benson, Ty- Tyler Benson has been playing reasonable hockey in a fourth line role, you know, five, six, seven, eight minutes a game, hardly getting any chances and often playing with weak line mates. Mm-hmm. He's looking to me and, and I know I'm a Tyler Benson homer. He's from Edmonton and I'm cheering for the guy. So, um, you know, that said, he's he's looked to me like he's he's get, he's hits, he's greedy, he's getting in the play, and he's got some skill. He he made uh, some fantastic plays tonight. Um, you know, there was one with uh, where Tyson, uh, Tyson Berry had an outside shot on net in the second, and he was just causing all kinds of commotion in the in the crease. And I think he did get a shot. You'll you'll have to review that, but I thought he got a shot. And uh, then Turris. Uh, just a second later, I think, put it off the goalie or the post or something and almost scored. That was Benson uh, creating. And then uh, the pass that he makes to, that was a very uh, sweet play, that goal. I mean, Cody Cece deeks someone, rushes it up the ice, backhand pass. Kyle Turris then makes an even nicer pass to Benson, who then makes the nicest of all cross seam, cross ice uh, dart over to um, McLeod, who puts it in the net. And, um, you know, last year, I think at this time I was advocating to see that great McLeod, Marodi, Benson line, thinking it might even be a third line for the Edmonton Oilers. I'm thinking that even stronger now, Bruce. McLeod and Benson have made the moves. Marodi's a good hockey player. He's as good as they are, um, probably. Um, Maybe, you know, maybe there's something that holds them back at the NHL level, but I don't, I think that would be a really interesting thing to do, would be to see if you can generate um third line offense from that line and see if that works to help score some goals because they need some goals they need even strength goals that was the best even strength line in the AHL last year mm-hmm. anyway uh Tyler Benson I think is earning his ice time and um maybe he'll play more with McLeod in a slightly elevated role than he's been getting let me see what his time on ice was here tonight what did he get tonight yeah, he's 13, quite a bit. 30, yeah. 13.38, which is, that's mm-hmm. got to be a seasonal high, I'm guessing. I don't, can't remember mm-hmm. him getting more than that. So maybe we're seeing something. I mean, the coach isn't a lover of rookies, of young players. Oh. I mean, look, Turris had a good game tonight. Turris played actually well, but, you know, mm-hmm. like he seems to like that kind of player, like going with that kind of guy over than... Um, and Devin Shore, he likes going with Devin Shore, of course. And I will, we, 
you can comment on that comment on that if you want i i'll have to tell you bruce i i i thought devon shore might take a step up this year like josh archibald did in his first year that has not happened nope. and he's been really super disappointing now he's been injured and i did he was on covid too did he yep. go on the protocol so some extenuating circumstances definitely but he's got to play better because he's getting he's on the pk he's getting regular ice time he is not performing and um you know this is what's fueling the anti-tippet talk right now i guess is, is things like decisions like that so what's your bad thing my good thing your good what's your good thing we did yeah, the bad well, thing. yeah just yeah on on um uh one comment on tyler benson that backhand feed he set across for uh mcleod to tap in was a beauty that's right so, just a terrific pass a good way to get his first point of the season i mean you could say long overdue uh i thought he was playing well enough that they might give him a look with uh you know on a uh somewhere in the top six but he basically played one minute each with dry and david and otherwise he was he was as usual in the uh, bottom of the order and I don't, I don't know what it's going to take to get him a chance playing with with high-end skill mind you mcleod and and tourists at least they have some skill you know, they do it's not like, yeah yeah you know, it's not like he's playing with Shore and Sevier like he was for a while there. You know? <laughs> so there's, you know, I mean, he's he's a skilled passer, and there's he showed that tonight several times. Yes. And we had him contributing to four Grade A chances and none against. So, uh, so you beat we. I lost the thumb wrestle. That was my good thing from this game as well. And uh, so my other good thing, I'm I'm going to go with the other number sixteen, Ryan Strom former Oiler. I always enjoy watching him play and dreaming of that time where the Oilers did actually have a, a decent 3C there for a few months before uh, Peter Shirelli traded him one for one for uh, Ryan Spooner in November of uh, 2018. And Strom tonight, he scored three points for New York, played a really good game. He won that puck battle with Koskinen, made a good centering pass, wound up with a goal to assist three points first star of the game and uh it, he uh that actually matched the total number of points that ryan spooner scored for edmonton oilers in 25 games is how many uh Strom scored against the oilers in one game tonight in yet another of peter shirelli's series of disastrous trades and we've heard the new york commentators tonight because of the situation that the edmonton broadcast of the game was knocked out by uh, COVID concerns, which I believe were in the truck, as opposed to, uh, I, I understand that uh, uh, Jack Michaels, Bob Stauffer did the game on the radio, but they didn't have uh, some kind of support crew because of COVID concerns. So we heard the Rangers broadcast and I actually kind of enjoyed it. And I like hearing from time to time, the outsider's view of the of the Oilers, it's, you know, sort of knowledgeable hockey people, but who only see the team sort of on the periphery and some of the commentary they had about the Oilers. and. One of the things that they said that that still rankles me to this day, David, was how uh, uh, how McDavid himself was fairly devastated by that trade because Ryan Strom was one of his best friends on the team. And then, of course, Shirelli followed that up by trading for uh, for McDavid's sworn enemy, Brandon Manning, the following month. I mean, how to build a team? Not so. My good yeah, they, thing is seeing Ryan Strom land on his feet in another organization, and my bad thing, well, I don't have to say what it is, but its initials are PC. That, uh, well, 
with the Strom situation, Bruce, the first thing that does, comes to my mind isn't Peter Shirelli, it's Todd McClellan. I mean, McClellan was not using the player. He, he he was brought in to play, to give, you know, as a winger to, to see how we would do with McDavid. He hardly got a chance there. Yeah, he did not get a chance. And and uh, McClellan, you know, he he didn't use them very much. And, you know, it was interesting what they said. It was what a breath of fresh air it was to hear that about McDavid being upset. You know, someone talk about something that actually happened and is and is and is real and is pertinent to the Edmonton Oilers. Like that was good to hear. So, you know, yeah, I've, I've got the other point I was going to make about Strom, but he yeah, I, I, I do blame Todd McClellan as much as as much as anything for what happened there. He was. He didn't get a didn't get a real great chance in Edmonton, and he's taken off elsewhere. So tough one. Yeah, and it was one of the very last things that happened before McClellan got fired. Like my recollection is, Spooner arrived in Edmonton the week of the trade. It took him a couple of days to get out here, and he went, if I re- recollect right, minus two uh on saturday night in calgary and then minus two again on sunday night at home versus vegas and the orders got clobbered in both games and mcclellan got fired right after that so and from then on i mean strome he could have been a winger like they should have tried him at winger before they traded him for a winger but he was really actually quite good at 3c he just wasn't scoring much because he had a young kid on one line on, on one wing and he had milan lucic on the other wing, and they, they, you know, they were they were holding their own. They weren't giving anything up, and they, but they weren't scoring, and they got he, he was he, moved on from them, and it was a huge blunder. He's he was the best three C orders have had probably in the last ten years. Yeah, he was doing okay at three C. Now I remember what I was going to say. Like the the broadcasters also talked about what a kind of a bullion character he is. Like going, like he's he's very outgoing, uh, going up and down the plane aisles, and and it sounded like that was not working in Edmonton that wasn't happening so I again that had me thinking of the coach so I think the coach and the GM are are e- probably equally culpable um in that for the Strom debacle here in Edmonton okay are we at our numbers numbers okay my my number relates to Koskinen and uh, it's a series of numbers it's it's just looking at his streak in his first seven games, when when I, you know we were all singing his praises, including me, of course, you know, shouting his name from the rooftops and dancing in the streets about Miko Koskinen. He 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 had seven games, six wins, one loss, and a 9.34 save percentage. Since then, he's played 13 games, and he has six wins and seven losses, and his save percentage is 8.82, 8.82 compared to 9.34. There's just no way you win with 882 goaltending. And 882 goaltending, I think, is also on the goalie. Like, it's it's hard to get to that level without it being at least partially on you to, to some extent. Like, you can't say there's just a weak defensive team in front of them. The Oilers have had defensive struggles. And they have given up. Tonight, they gave up a lot of chances. Uh, some really good ones. But it's not just that. It's just... Koskinen is is um, shooting himself in the foot too often, and uh, it'll be interesting to see Bruce if something does happen out of this. Like the discontent is real, it's mm-hmm. raw, it's been expressed by the coach in public. Yeah. Um, 
the coach is obviously probably feeling some pressure about now. Mm-hmm. I think there's a, like, you know, usually when there's, you know, Oilers fans are in a tizzy, like, who cares, right? Because Oilers fans are always in a tizzy. This time, though, <laughs> there may actually be some action taken. And it could be as simple as sending Koskinen to Bakersfield and calling up Skinner. That would be the most obvious thing to happen. Um, or just calling up Skinner, sending Konovalov down, I guess. And and I don't know what the salary cap implications of all that are. But um, I think there's at least a 50-50 chance that happens. That uh, Skinner's... Non-zero chance he's on waivers at noon tomorrow. Yeah, so what would you say that... What would you say the chances of that are exactly? Uh, I'll stick with non-zero. I mean, I think it's a a distinct possibility that uh, he's waived tomorrow and Skinner's on his way up. To be sent down, he has to be put on waivers. So we're we're, we're actually saying the same thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, for a player of his uh, stature, he has to endure the ignominy of the waiver wire. And uh, that's not a fun time for any veteran hockey player, but it may become. They probably want him to play, Bruce. Excuse me there. They probably want him to play, right? So Mm -hmm. they probably, instead of just putting him on the taxi squad, I don't even know if he can go on the taxi squad. Maybe that's not a possibility. I guess Skinner couldn't, so I doubt Koskinen could. So he probably has to get sent down. I don't know. If he he clears waivers, they could put him on the taxi squad. And that's actually a, a, a likelier outcome than him actually going to Bakersfield. Call up Skinner, send Konovalov back down from the taxi squad. Call up Skinner to the roster, move Koskinen to the taxi squad. That's a that's a very uh, feasible chain of events. Well, here's why I think he might go to Bakersfield. You could say to Mikko Koskinen, "Listen, man, like you you're having a bad run of games. 882 save percentage the last 13 games. Um, we can show you the video of some of the goals you've been letting in." You're probably not feeling too good about yourself, and the team uh, might be feeling the same way about you. They probably wouldn't say that. But listen, we we want to work with you. We want to turn your season around. Bakersfield's having a run of games in the next two weeks. You're going to get lots of games down there. Go down there, get your game in order, and um, in in two or three weeks, we'll see how things play out. You know, we're not stranding you there. If you if you if you uh, come back. And we're still having issues. Like this is your chance. This is your this is your best opportunity to re uh, re get your re um, get your game back together, and maybe earn another NHL contract next year. So I could see him actually going to Bakersfield under those circumstances, and Skinner getting the call up um, in his stead. So then you'd have Skinner and Smith. And again, I, to me, it's not enough. You got to make a trade. Skinner has Skinner played well, but he is a rookie and he was trending down as well in his last, uh, you know, last few weeks in Edmonton. So, um, yeah, I think I think it's um, you're saying a non-zero chance, Bruce. I'm going to say mm-hmm. it's a coin flip whether that yeah. happens. Yeah, 50 is reasonable. I, I think it's a coin flip. I think it could mm-hmm. actually happen. And I think I think it should happen. I think I think that the, the team <laughs> needs that to happen now. That means putting all your eggs in the Skinner basket, right? Which is a whoa. If Smith's not ready to play, yeah. But in the sh- it's they'd probably rather have Skinner in it anyway, and um, and then you try to you you're make trying to make a trade. 
Well, I mean, who plays next game on Wednesday in Toronto is the question right now. If it's not going to be Koskinen, you got to get Skinner in there somehow. Tomorrow, you got It's probably not going to be Smith. So you got to do something tomorrow. Yeah. In order to uh, clear the path to, you know, make an emergency recall. And I mean, there's a way of doing it, I suppose, with a three-headed monster, but or put Smith on IR and call him up, you know, whatever. Maybe Smith is ready to go on Wednesday, but I'm not hearing much saying that he's uh, he's uh, involved in practices or anything like that. Yeah, Koskinen, just since uh, uh, his last win was that Pittsburgh game on December 1st, he is, since then, six six games, six losses, one point, one bet midpoint, 0-5 and 1, 8-66 save percentage in the last six games, 866. Now, the only goalie that could survive a stretch like that is Mike Smith, who did survive a stretch like that. And But Tippett was totally in his corner, right? Uh, having coached him before, knew the player. And it and it turned out Tippett was right. Last year, Smith bounced back, was fant- was really, really good. So, um, but Koskinen, I don't see him. I, I think it's, yeah, I'll go with the coin flip. I think this could definitely happen. I mean, I, I, I what would be the argument against it, I guess, doing that? What, why wouldn't you? Why The more I think about it, the more I think the odds are more like 80, 90%. Like, why wouldn't you do it at this point? Because you can't this, go back to him in net. I raised the exact same question as a headline to a post last week, you know. Might Koskinen be the odd man out? And I would say a week later, now he's that much closer to becoming the odd man out. I mean, I clearly lost uh, his coach tonight, judging by him getting called out to that extent in the post-game commentary. Yeah. What is your number, Bruce? Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, 3 to 22. This is the number of blocked shots in tonight's game. We want to talk about the difference between a disciplined defense. And I noticed right from the first period uh, that New York was was uh, very assiduous about filling the shooting lanes. The Oilers would have the puck on the outside. The guy would be trying to make moves, trying to open a lane that he could sip the puck into. And the Ranger guy, they were just lining up with the shooting lanes, taking away the outside shots. The Oilers didn't take a lot of shots for that reason. But in the first period alone, Edmonton got six shots on net and the Rangers uh, uh, skaters blocked nine. And over the course of the game, they blocked 22 shots, and they basically were, you know, between the Oilers and their net, like defensive players are supposed to be. Whereas the Oilers blocked three shots, which is a smaller number than the number of odd man rushes they gave up, which I don't have an exact number, but I know it was more than three. And it, it was, I mean, that is a very, very, very stark difference on a stat sheet that actually matches the eye test. Like I thought, Rangers are really doing a good job in the shooting lanes, and Seemed like the you know the Oilers were outnumbered around the net. It's pretty hard to fill the shooting lanes when the other team's got more guys than you got. And but Bruce, how how could the Oilers lose tonight? They had they outcoursed the other team sixty nine oh. to thirty nine. They did, but uh, yeah, I mean, here's one for you. This one was actually pretty good. Darnell Nurse, he had a Corsi of twenty eight four fifteen against, and actual shots on net of thirteen four fourteen against. So one of the 15 shot attempts against Darnell Nurse was not on goal, whereas 15 of the shot attempts that the Oilers had while he was out there didn't get through to the net or didn't hit the net. Like it was, uh, you know, it was just two different styles of game out there, and the and the Rangers were the far more disciplined, far more organized looking team. 
uh, to my eye. And I mean, the Oilers had their dangerous moments because they got some dangerous players, obviously, and they had even had some lower down players that, that played okay. But uh, they were uh, second best on a lot, a lot of front. Another one was a hits front, 29 to 12 for New York Rangers. They they uh, uh, they brought the physicality and uh, uh, Ryan Reeves, six hits. That's all he did, played 12 minutes, six hits. And this this could have been my good thing. He absolutely crushed Leon Dreisaitl, which wasn't a good thing. But like 20 seconds later, Leon t- took a run at Reeves and put him on his ass. And I, I, I like that. I, I love Leon, that. Leon, Leon, you know, like he sort of, yeah, to take a run at me, you're going to take one back. And, and he hit him pretty good. Not quite as hard as he got hit, but he got him pretty good. But uh, the, for, the, for the most part, it was the Rangers who were laying on the physicality and... Uh, was it uh, Ryan Lindgren absolutely smoked Slater Cuckoo? Just oh, man. crushed him. Yeah. And uh, 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 Truba caught somebody in the trolley tracks. And, it, you know, it was just a, a game where, let's say the Rangers were more committed to the game without the puck than the Oilers were. And I would say that was a big difference to me. I love that dry settle hit as well. That was fantastic. And I loved Yamamoto standing up for uh, McDavid when uh, going at, you know, cross-checking Truba. Truba. A much yeah. bigger guy. Good for Kyler Yamamoto. That's fantastic. And it, and it, and it like, it's weird because those little plays kind of give me hope. Because when the owners were a truly rancid team, Bruce, they never had that kind of spunk. Like, they never had that kind of comeback. You know, guys would get, pla- Taylor Hall or Nugent Hopkins would get plastered and there'd be no response at all. When, when Connor McDavid gets hit this year, there's all kinds of guys standing up for him. And it was another example of that tonight. And Connor McDavid himself stands up for his teammates. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not like uh, totally despairing about this team. I am about the, the goaltending at this point. Um, but other than, you know, we'll see. If they you get a hot goalie, you get some good goaltending here in the last few months of the season, you make the right trade or if Smith comes back hot or if Skinner comes up and plays well. Things can change, and uh, this team can can start to win again. So that's my hope. Well, the Oilers have held the other team to one goal uh, <clears throat> three times in 33 games. Last time they did it was in the middle of November against Winnipeg. They've had now 17 games in a row where they've given up multiple goals. And the Rangers, by way of contrast, I looked them up being tonight's opponent. They've now, counting tonight, held their opponent to one goal or fewer on uh, 12 occasions, including three shutouts. And the Oilers have three times held the team to one goal. And that's their, you know, that's their high watermark. And two of those were in the first seven games of the season. And since then, it's been, you know, it's just, they never win 2-1, 3-1, let alone 5-1. You know, it's just, there's, uh, they need to score three goals to have a chance to win. <sighs> All right. Let's leave it there, Bruce. Let's leave it there. We'll see what happens there, David. Let's we we'll see what happens tomorrow. Yeah, next game Wednesday, and then there's a one more against Ottawa. They've got one game in sort of two weeks after uh, after uh, tomorrow our Wednesday's game. So we'll be well, talking about we, Bakersfield Condors a little bit in the next uh, couple podcasts. After that, I expect. Well, we'll be able to see if Miko Koskinen can get his game together in Condors Town. All right, Bruce, thanks for talking tonight. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, 
And in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.